Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I should be honest with you all the time, but I'm going to be real honest with you right now. I don't feel that the United States is very united right now. We have various concerns about what is truth, who is right and who is wrong. There is disunity at all levels. And the sad thing is, is that this disunity has seeped into the church as well. We are called to be one in Christ, his body built together. But as we think, see the things in our culture, it's dividing us. Even within the walls of the church, even within Christ's body. But I have good news for us. We were created by God and we were called by God to do and be an amazing thing. We were to exhibit the unity of God, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We were called to exhibit that kind of unity in and through the church. And I know uh, this thing, that what God creates and the people to whom God calls, he doesn't create us or call us to something that he doesn't equip us for. He doesn't say, this is what you should be, but you don't have any power to do it or to be it. No, we were called to a great work, to be a great example, and God has empowered us to be what he's created us to be. So we are in Ephesians chapter 4. We have made the turning point in Paul's letter where he has dealt with a lot of uh, what Christ has done, what God has done, kind of a basic theology. He turns now to what the church is to do, our ethics, as it were. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Let me uh, read it for you. You can read along where you're at. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's walk through the passage and see uh, what we can learn about who we are as a church and what we've been created to be and what we've been called to be. It says, first of all, Paul says, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. What is that calling but to uh, proclaim the goodness of Christ, to proclaim his salvation, to proclaim his death and his resurrection, to proclaim his lordship. That is our calling as the church to proclaim those truths. And then Paul tells us how we are to proclaim those things, how we are to walk in that worthy manner. What does that worthy manner look like? Some of these are pretty clear. We are to walk with all humility. We live in a culture that doesn't honor humility. We honor getting all that you can, standing up for yourself, putting yourself above others. But the scripture says that we are to put others above ourselves with all humility and gentleness being kind to one another, being soft with one another, not come off harshly, hard, but gentle. As parents are with a newborn, we are to be gentle with each other. We are to have patience. We are to bear one another Bear, bearing with one another in love. That word bearing is probably better translated, the thought is better translated as putting up with one another in love. Putting up with one another. But not just uh, because we have to, but we do it because of love. Verse 3 says that we are too eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Again, the picture there is to eagerly maintain means to guard, to protect. That the unity of the body of Christ in the Spirit's peace is worth our protection. It's worth our guarding. 
It's something worth maintaining, something that we work at. It's something that just doesn't happen on its own. It is created by the Spirit, but we have a responsibility to play in the midst of that. We protect lots of things. We protect our home against storm and fire. We protect our children against harm. We protect our bodies against illness. But the unity of the body of Christ is worth protecting. It's worth going out of our way for. Why? Because, as I said earlier, it is a living example of the unity of God. We believe that God eternally has existed as three persons in which we refer to as the Trinity. Equal in all things. One God eternally existed in three persons. And we as the church are here to exhibit that truth, that we who are many are one in Christ. We are to live as one. It's not just calling ourselves the body of Christ, but it is being a unified body. Can you imagine what your body would be like if all of a sudden your leg decided to go left and one leg decided to go left and the other decided to go right? It would be hard to get around. That without your control, you would just go off and hit the person next to you and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it, but my arm went over there. We like to have control of our body. We want to live in unity. We want to live at peace. In verse 4, Paul kind of gives us uh, the theology behind the ethic. We are called to live in a certain way, and here is why we are called that way. For there is one body. There is, we could put it this way, there is one church. It's not just Bethesda, but we belong to the larger body of Christ around the world. Those who name the name of Jesus, who follow after him as Lord and as Savior, who worship him, who do his will. We are part of that larger body of Christ. There is one body. It's not us against the church down the street. We are one body. Sure, we do things differently than others. There are different parts of the body, different churches that do other things, different things well, better than we do, better than we've been called to, but we have those specific things that God calls us to do as Bethesda. Our responsibility is to find out our place in the body of Christ. There is one spirit. There aren't a lot of little spirits filling us up each differently, but there's one spirit, that Holy Spirit, that member of the Trinity of God. 
We were called to one hope. That hope is in our future salvation. It belongs to our call. It's what has been given to us in Christ, that great love of God expressed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We have hope in him. There is one Lord, one Savior. There is one faith, that is, there is one gospel, one truth that we all hold to. There is one baptism, that is, we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. You are not baptized into Pastor Randall's name. You are not baptized into the church's name. You are baptized into the name of God. One baptism, which is true for all of us. One God. And he's the Father of all who is over all in, through all, and in all. We have been told in the first part of this little passage, we're looking at how we are to live. We are told then why we are to live that way. And then we are not left alone, but we are told that we have been given what is necessary to live in the way that we have been called for the purpose that we have been created. There is this portion here in, our, in Paul's letter that he takes out of Psalm 68. And he says, when he ascends, and he's referring to Christ here, when he ascended on high, that ascension, that after the resurrection, he led forth a host of captives. He led forth the church. And he gave gifts to men. And then Paul puts this parenthetical statement in verse 9 and 10. He says, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also descended to the lower regions that is the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And that's Paul's main point here, is to remind us of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ that he fills all things. And he referred to that back in chapter 3 as well. And because he has all authority, because he fills all things, because he has all power, in and through that he has given us gifts. Now, he speaks of some gifts here. These are really just part of the gifts that are spoken of in the scriptures. We can go to Romans chapter 12 and read a, a set of gifts. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, uh, excuse me, chapter 12 and read a list of gifts. But here he's kind of dealing with the leadership gifts of the church. Those who are called to equip. Those who are Awana leaders. Bible study leaders, Sunday school leaders, those who work in the ministries of the church, those who are deacons and elders and pastors, all those who have been placed in a position of leadership are placed there so that they can equip the body of Christ. He says he's given the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word ministry is where we get the word service from. To equip 
us, the church, God has given specific gifted people who will lead us so that we can be built up, so that we can do the work of Jesus. And they are to continue to do those things until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature personhood. Our work is not easily completed. In fact, dare I say, it is never completed until that day when we see Jesus face to face. But we are to come under the leadership that God has placed in order that we may have a unity of what we believe, a unity of faith, and we may have the knowledge of the Son of God to the place that we reach maturity. And what does that maturity look like? Verse, it says, to the measure of the statue, uh, stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called to be like Jesus. Back in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created Adam and Eve And he created them in his image. You and I are called to bear forth the image of God in this world. Yes, it's a marred image right now. It's a sinful, one marked by sin so often. But that doesn't change the reality that we are to bear forth the image of God in our world. We are to reach the fullness of Christ so that we can be that which God created us to be. Verse 14 says, we are to become mature so that we will no longer be children tossed back and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I used to, um, when I was in high school and early college days, I worked in a store that was kind of like a um, target. And I was, became the manager of the toy department. And if you have to work in a store like Target, the best place to work is in the toy department. You got lots of things to play with. The only problem with it is at Christmas time, every parent brings every one of their children and lets them loose in the toy department. And you have toys spread from one place to another. And I've seen parents bring their children, maybe for a birthday, maybe for Christmas, maybe for a special thing because they did well at school. And they say, you have um, $5, you have $10 on which you can spend on a toy of your choice. And it never fails that the child will run up to one thing and say, mommy, this is what I want. But then something catches their eyes and they turn and see that other toy over here and they run over to that toy and they say, no, mommy, this is what I want. And if they're really brave, they'll say, can I have both? To which the mommy often replies, no. You need to make a choice. And they say, well, this one over here is what I really want. And then all of a sudden, something else catches their eye over here, and they run across the aisle, and they say, Mommy, this is the toy that I want. And unless you, as a parent, have a strong leash on your child, they will soon make their way around the aisles of the toy department 
saying, no, 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 this is the one I want. No, 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 this is the one I want. This one will make me happy. No, this one will make me happy. And what Paul says here is he goes, we're often like those children. We see a truth that draws us to itself. And we say, this is what I want. And we run to that. And we learn a new truth, a a new thing pops up in our culture, and we run to that. And somebody in the church will teach this, or somebody will uh, teach that, and we'll run to those things, or run to those people. And we are bounced back and forth. As Paul says, by every wind of doctrine, by every teaching, by every human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. I guess the hard thing for us and hard thing for me to hear is that I can be easily deceived. But it's true. I've run after lots of toys. Not often finding what God would have for me. We teach one another Our leaders are to teach, our Sunday school teachers are to teach, our Bible studies are to teach. Dare I say, our parents and grandparents are to teach their children and grandchildren in such a way that they will grow up and know how to choose rightfully and be able to tell right from wrong. I once heard that... um, if you're going to work in the um, forces that uh, determine whether a bill is counterfeit or not, when they put you through the training, the only thing they have you look at is the real thing. They don't have you look at false things in order to discover the real thing. They have you look at the real dollar bill, the real hundred dollar bill, over and over and over again so that you know what truth is when you see it. And you know what falsehood is when you see it. We need to spend time with our nose in the book. We need to be focusing on the things of Jesus, the things of his word, so that we can tell when there's a deceit, an untruth. Verse 15 says that we are to speak the truth in love. And we are to grow up as we do that into him who is the head, that is the head of the body who is into into Christ. We are to speak the truth in love. Theologian and pastor uh, Timothy Keller says that uh, love without truth is sentimentality. Truth without love is harshness. We need to have both at work. The church that I used to serve at on the back wall were were painted uh, four words so that when you turned to walk out of the sanctuary, you always saw those four words. They said, speak truth, love well. Speak truth, speak what's true out of God's word. True, what's in in our world, what is true, what is true about Christ. Preach 
Christ because he is the truth. But in all that preaching of truth and all teaching of truth, we never forget to love well. To love with the love of Christ. Sacrificial love. Love that isn't just an emotion, but love that is an act of will to meet the needs of another person. Speak truth. Love well. We live in a world where truth is hard to know. You got people from all different sides, all different places, telling us what is true. They say that what is true in our government, what is true in regards to the pandemic, what is true in regards to relationships with one another, and if you're like me, it's driving you crazy because you don't know the truth anymore. All I can say is, brothers and sisters, let us, as we sang, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the truth. We are to become that whole body, joined together, every joint that is, which is equipped so that each part will work properly in making sure that the body grows up and again builds itself up in love. Love is the marker of that unity. So, how do we do it? We need to, first of all, have open ears. We need to be active listeners. When we do marital counseling, premarital counseling, we try to equip the couples with this ability to listen actively. And the way that we do that is I have one of the couples share something that concerns them about the other person. And I have the other person be able to listen in such a way so that they can repeat back word for word what the first one has said. You can try that. It's not an easy task. But we need to listen actively. Listen so intently that we can repeat back what the person has said. We need to have an open heart to love, to show mercy, to show gentleness, as we read. That as we listen to people, we respond to them gently. Finding ways that we can express love to them, rather than just kicking back our own feelings, but loving them gently. Open ears, open heart, open hands. We need to be able to reach out to serve one another in the love of Christ. So my encouragement to you as we move forward as the body of Christ, as we walk through this transition period together as Bethesda Church, as we discover what our spiritual gifts are and the part that we play in the body of Christ, I pray that we do so with open ears to one another that we have open hearts to one another, and that we have open hands, all that we will be bound up in the unity of the Spirit for the glory of Christ. In his name, let's pray.
We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.